Hello and welcome to the Peregrinations podcast. This is a podcast that publishes new travel writing in audio format. If you have written a travel story about a trip and wish it to be considered for the podcast, please get in touch on our website, theperegrinationspodcast.wordpress.com. Today we are listening to the next episode of Call That a Mosquito Bite. This is a Mosquito Bite, a travel story set in France. It's a simple question, I said. I'll ask the next person. We had walked along the street to St. Martin's Canal, and there it was in front of us, shimmering in the light between the lanes of heavy traffic. Not the delightful escape from the city I had been led to believe, but that was surely something we could easily remedy. One way, I believed from my pre-holiday research, led to little shops, boutiques, a delightful afternoon wandering by the locks, watching boats rise and fall, sipping cappuccino on the banks. Unfortunately, I wasn't sure which way that was, but all I had to do was ask someone. Go on, Jess encouraged, ask her. A woman approached in a grey business suit. She's too busy, in a hurry. It was a reasonable excuse. My inquiry might take a while, given my low-level French. Him, Jess suggested, as the man walked towards us the other way. He wasn't in a hurry, but there was something I didn't like about his face. He could be trouble. Unapproachable, I decided. We walked northwards. The trouble was I wasn't really sure how to phrase my question. Excusez-moi, yes, but then what? Quelle direction est la plus belle? Another man walked towards us. Too tall, I explained. The next man had earplugs in, well, his ears. Him? Listening to a walkman would be impolite. He'd have to unplug it, switch it off. He might lose where he was. Who knows the knock-on effects of that? You're not going to ask anyone, are you? There's no need. This is clearly the right way, I counted, as we walked northwards past a lock. Look, an outdoor table tennis table. Ten minutes later we turned around. It being clear, the canal was not heading anywhere attractive. To sweeten this bitter pill, we stopped at a bar, intent on speaking French. After all, anyone can say de beer, s'il vous plaît, even if we decided to share only one to save on calories. A hop, skip and a metro took us back to Place de la Bastille. I was angry with myself for walking the wrong way along St. Martin's Canal. If I had done it properly, we would have perambulated delightfully to this same spot that witnessed the start of the revolution back in 1789. Places don't retain any sense of the events they have witnessed. La Bastille is now a tourist refueling point, with hundreds of bars and cafes that make choosing anywhere impossible. We walked north, away from the throngs, spivs, and general feeling of pickpocketry in waiting. I have to move to Paris. I want to live in a republic. A girl went past on a bike. As she passed, we could see what I will refer to as her underlinen high above her trousers. Is that still cool? Do you think she knows? It seems terribly un-Parisian. She must have been a visiting Anglo-Saxon. We veered right along the street. It was a strange, narrow street full of bars, brash tourist traps and tiny, dark pits that are probably owned by the same person, but attract a different clientele that thinks it's found a real, authentic old Parisian bar. The sort of person who lets his word processor autocorrect clientele to clientele, with an accent. Old haunts from previous trips were still there. How did we ever think that was a nice place, I asked, as we passed the dingiest-looking bar on the street, with dirty glass and writing on the windows. Was that the one? Jess went in to check it out. I loitered by the doorway. There was something about the interior. You could imagine Toulouse-Lautrec buried somewhere in the back. We had cocktails in there, Jess said, emerging into the sunlight. 
Ten years ago. Ten years? I poo-pooed her calculation. It can't have been. It was. At the end of the street, we stopped for some food. Although, really, we stopped to go to the loo. The place was a Mexican endeavour. We were drawn by the pain, and the ladies eating it outside. As usual, I had great plans to speak French, building up a long phrase in my head, something to do with seeing women outside eating a plate of cheese and bread, and could we have one? But as usual, when I got to the counter, it was a different story. All I managed to stumble out was fromage. Maybe I managed pain as well. I'm so far from having a normal conversation in France, it is frightening. One doesn't go to Paris to eat snacks in a faux Central American bodega. We didn't even get any cornichon on our planche, although we didn't notice that till the end. But combined with glasses of Cote du Rhone and Bordeaux, it became a mini wine tasting. Light, Jess commented. More alive, I agreed. Red currants. It's okay. We're more fussy now we've crossed the channel. Jess rolled the Bordeaux round her mouth. Peppery. Not much aftertaste. We wandered on, treating the city as our own personal entertainment. I love big cities. I love exploring them on foot. Unfortunately, Jess doesn't. Or at least not as much as me. So we retired to the metro and set sail for supper. Crepes are my new favourite food. That's not to say I'm a nutter with malfunctioning taste buds. I've always liked them, but now they are right at the top of the list. Hot buttered toast still has a part to play in my diet, as does bacon, the full-cooked breakfast and a hundred other delights. But there is something just about perfect about the galette complète. Team it with a bottle of cidre brut. Only 5%, so your head doesn't ache. Paris, according to the guides, has a crepe alley where all the best creperies are located, pushing each other on to ever more delicious confections. It's on Rue de Montparnasse, down in the south. As chief crepe fancier, I should have been pressing to go there, and I had been, right up until I was so hungry I couldn't face another metro journey. They can't be that much better, I heard coming out of my mouth. Let's find a crepe around here. Jess was having none of it, thank goodness. Sometimes she is just sense personified. It won't take long on the metro. I nodded and followed her down. It was sensible. If you're going to eat a crepe, you want the best. It's just that when you are so hungry, you may collapse at any moment. I made it to Rue du Montparnasse. For those of a crepe-loving disposition, it is immediately a delight. There must be ten creperies, all with seats outside, and burbling conversation echoing onto the streets. Bliss. The downside of great choice is, of course, how do you choose? It's such a shame you only need one supper. One supper, it was decided when humans were designed. That is all they need. Which makes choosing where to eat it an important decision. That has the longest queue, just pointed out. Several people were loitering in front of it between the parked cars. If they queue there when there are plenty of other alternatives, it must be best. I nodded at her impeccable logic, and we stood in the road between a very battered Persia 106 and a car I couldn't recognise, listening to the babble of hungry eaters and hoping that we could sit outside. Galettes are made of buckwheat, which sounds very healthy, the thick, speckled, utterly divine. I love the way galettes all look the same when they arrive. It's only when you break them open that they reveal their secrets. Ah, you discover, so that word I didn't understand meant aubergine. Buckwheat, of course, is not wheat at all, which adds to the magic. A table became available and we were seated outside. I don't know why that is good. Objectively, you are out in the street, prey to fumes, thieves, smells, and even in France, are likely to end the meal feeling a little chilly. But to me, easing at a table outside is the business. Sitting outside, the buzz of the restaurant bellowing out. It was a Parisian delight. An egg inside the galette? Ham and cheese? 
a parcel of calories just for me. I thought a galette would be a light meal, just nodded. I wanted a crepe for pudding, but I didn't really have room. Crepe? I asked. She shook her head. We could share one, I pressed. That tempted her, but not enough. That was delicious. I'm so glad we came here. Shall we share a crepe? I suggested again, trying to keep her mind on the important issue of the day. She sipped her breath on cider. I threw caution to the wind, stuffed the calories. This grub is delicious. It's a shame you can't remove your stomach and fit a new one so you can carry on. Let's have a pudding. I am completely full, Justin. This wasn't going well. I tried a final gambit. What about the one on fire? I said, referring to a crepe that had been carried past earlier, flaming brandies singing above it. The waitress returned. Dessert? She looked at me. I was this close to saying yes. What do you think? I prompted, wishing her to decide on a crepe of any sort. Just some more of this buttery goodness. But she thought not. So she finished the cider and I had another noisette. Too milky, as though they thought an Englishman would complain if they served it normally. And so to bed. With tired legs, panicking about the cheese, the salami, the calories I had eaten. How can the French eat so much and stay so thin?'